What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning and God bless. Good evening. Welcome to those of you that are here, those of you joining with us online. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church here in Jackson, Missouri. We're so glad that you joined us online this evening. If you're checking us out on nextlevelfreedomchurch.com or Rumble or our podcast or YouTube or wherever you're checking this out, we thank you so much for joining with us this morning, evening, whenever you're catching this. We're going to be continuing this series this evening called God Is. And let me just tell you, I did a series or this pretty much this series was rewrote years ago, and God has surprised me yet. The way it's been going is totally different than the way (laughs) I would have had intended it to go. So praise the Lord. I hope you've been getting something out of it. If you enjoy what you hear tonight, make sure you check out previous messages right there on our channel and Rumble or wherever you're at. So, uh, But we've been talking about the names of God in our Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled those names in the New Testament And tonight we are going to be continuing that same series with a new name, and we'll talk about what that is here in just a second. The key passage last week and this week, this will be the last night for this key passage, is comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, and I'm reading out of the New King James here tonight. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is Liberty, or I like that word freedom, same thing right there. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, and you can keep going, to glory to glory to glory, because God is constantly trying to take us from glory to glory to glory, and it just keeps going because if you're following God, you're going to find out he's got new glory for you every day. Not because you're any good, but because he's good, because he's a good God, and because he is a, a glorious God, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So I want to take a look at this verse here before we get ready to not use this again next week. The Spirit of the Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. How many of y'all have ever felt that peace of God? Matter of fact, we talked about Jehovah Shalom, the Lord God, our peace, or the Lord God is peace. Last week, I'm not going to re-preach that, but there's something about the Spirit of the Lord that frees you up. I heard someone the other day, he was giving his testimony, I don't know if it was on Flashpoint or where I was watching, and I don't even remember who it was at this point, but he said, when he, I know who it was, well, I don't remember his name, so it doesn't matter. Roger Stone, Roger Stone is who it was, and he was on, uh, it was on, uh, I think it was on Elijah's streams, and uh, he was talking about when he went to the altar and actually got saved at the event that he was at, he said it was like a ton of blocks or bricks or something were taken off of his shoulders, and he was free, and at that time, he was facing prison time for being unlawfully charged on false charges, which 
mainstream media still don't like you saying that. So watch on Rumble if you're out there and it just happens to get censored just for telling you the truth. But uh, Roger Stone is a man of God, and he has been going around this country with a group, and I don't remember what the name of the group is, and he's just been giving his testimony. And he's got a testimony to give. He, God has delivered him from so much. He was born and raised, baptized, he said, in the Catholic Church. Uh, he got delivered. He considers himself a non-denominational Christian now. And I think the church he attends is actually a Presbyterian church somewhere here in the United States. But um, you listen to not just his story, but people like him that have been delivered from sin through God's gift of salvation. And I'll even tell you, for me, it was like you were free. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or there is freedom. And that's what we're trying to guide everyone listening towards is the Spirit of God. Because God is the one that will change you. It's nothing I can do, nothing anybody physically here could do. But it's something the Holy Spirit does and God does in your life. But it also says, but we all with unveiled face. Remember Moses in the Old Testament, we talked about his face was veiled because the glory of God shone so much on his face that he had a veil that he had to wear in front of the people. And then he would pull the veil off when he was before God. Well, I like how this is worded here. We all with unveiled face, we're approaching God here. Beholding as in a mirror... The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. How many of y'all, when you look in the mirror, you don't see you, you see Jesus? That's what we should look at, see, right? I know physically in a mirror you're seeing your own body. But spiritually, if you've been born again, there ought to be a change there in that mirror. Maybe even just a smile. If nothing else that wasn't there before, maybe, you, maybe you've got reason to be crying and frowning and worried about everything. Maybe it looks like the world's falling apart ab- around you, but the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, it's like it doesn't matter anymore. You got Jesus, what else do we need? Bible says, if God be for us, then who can be against us? That's what the Bible tells us. I don't have the address right now for that, but that's what the Bible tells us. We've been talking about the last few weeks, the five benefits of the New Testament covenant. The first couple of weeks, we looked at forgiveness of sin and deliverance from sin's dominion. And last week and this week, we want to center in on the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to change our lives. Amen? If you're born again, the Holy Spirit is the one that changes your life. So this will be the last night of this, and we're going to move on to the next one next week, which will be the promise of health and healing. We'll talk about that next week, so that'll give you something to look forward to. We've also been talking about the fact that God's name, Jehovah, I'll just say it the English way this evening, reveals his readiness to save his people and to act for them. Thus, the name Jehovah, or I am that I am, all caps, can be rendered I am with you, ready to save and to act, just as I have always been. That's from Larry Lee's book, Could You Not Tarry One Hour? And that's one of our key quotes we've got at the beginning of each of these messages. So God has always been ready for you to come. He's like this. He's waiting. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He who opens the door and lets him in. I'm I'm paraphrasing now. You'll dine with you and you with him. That's in Revelation. Where was that at? 320, was that right? 
Revelation 3. Something like that. Look it up. <laughs> Look it in Revelation. I know it's there. So, uh, but Jesus wants to come in. He wants to change our life, but many people won't let him for lack of belief, for lack of faith. And one quote that we will revisit this week, we're going to do another one tonight, though, was from Charles H. Spurgeon. He said, go forth today by the help of God's spirit, vowing and declaring that in life come poverty, come wealth, in death, come pain, or come what may, you are and ever must be the Lord's. Regardless of what your circumstances look like around you, you are and ever must be the Lord's. If you're born again, it doesn't matter the circumstances. And then he finishes, he says, For it is written on your heart, we love him because he first loved us. And that was Charles H. Spurgeon. And then also, we got a new quote this week that I kind of like. I read a book, and it's been a few years now. It was called Leadership Pain. It's one of the books that pastor couples recommended before launching a church. And boy, I'm glad he did. They're talking about things I may not experience till later down the road. But when you're calling into leadership, there's always pain that comes with it. And the ones that can't handle the pain, those are the ones that get out. But let me talk to you. There's a quote, and I'm going to use this as we go throughout the night. And this is, I think he's a pastor from Honolulu, Hawaii, possibly. His name is Wayne Cordario, I think is how you say that. And here's what he said, though. Listen to the quote. It's important. There are two pains in life, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. You choose. Two choices. Do you discipline yourself enough to walk in God's ways for your life? Or do you live with the regret that you didn't follow him later? And we'll talk more about that as the night goes on. I know we got to get into it. Ezekiel 48.35 um, it's a prophecy here from Ezekiel. He's talking about the temple, I believe, in the last days. I didn't go back and read it. I should have. But 48.35 says, All the way around shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. And in the King James, that is all caps there. And that is the word Yehovah Shammah. Yehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. So when you're going through stuff and it just looks like there's no way out, Yehovah Shammah, the Lord God is there. When you, whether you're on a high mountain or you're in the lowest valley, the Lord is there. And he is with you and he wants to pull you through the situation. So as I was preparing for this message, you know, one of the things God gave me was you know, I've heard you talk about others' testimony, but you haven't talked about yours in a little while, so why don't you go ahead and share just a little bit. So I'm just going to give you a taste of where I was at here in my life before, beforehand. I got saved, and I believe it was December 30th, 1993. I was at a youth encounter. I was 12 going on 13, I believe, and... I had went through the motions at age 11. I'd been baptized in the church. And, you know, unique thing about that testimony, Aaron, if you're ever watching, my cousin and I went down both times. Only the second time it was legit. And we got baptized together both times. So, but um, I got saved at a youth encounter. And it was at that point I felt a change. I didn't know what it was because, I, like I said, I'd already been through the motions. I would saw my mom go forward when I was 11 and get saved. And I thought, hmm. This is a way to make, maybe I was thinking this way, make people proud of me. I don't know. So I went down, went through the motions. 
But it wasn't until 13 that I felt the change. And I was listening to a man named Ken Freeman. Anybody ever heard of Ken Freeman? He's an evangelist. He's probably in his 70s now, but he's, he is from Texas, good old Texas boy. And back then, I don't know now, I, have, I think it's KenFreeman.com. It's still there if you want to check him out at some point. It was Hellfire Brimstone. He told you the truth because he had been through what seemed like it all. He'd been through drugs. He'd been through alcoholism. He'd been through all the other struggles, and we don't have to go into the list. But he gave, he, he gave a word that night, and I went forward. I wasn't really sure because there was thousands of kids there, right? You know, we're in an arena, so there's thousands of kids in this whole place. And he just says, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to get up, and I want you to come down here. We got counselors that want to talk with you. So we were sitting next to each other, me and the cousin. Looked at her, got up, made our move, right? Walked down, you know, spoke with a gentleman, and they gave us some information. I don't know all the details, but here's what I remember. Years went by. I went back to school, and actually, those kids that I was in youth group with at the time uh, were in a different school district at that point, and I was visiting, and, or I wasn't visiting. I knew them from childhood because I went to the same school, and then I left and came back. But I noticed that they lived a good life at church, but when it got to school... They were cussing. They were acting just like everybody else. So at 13 years old, I'm like, what the heck? If they're not going to do it, why do I got to do it? Right? But it wasn't until I was 17 years old, and I'm going to give a quote, so make sure you mark this in quotations. But uh, I, was, I remember driving my 68 Chevy pickup. It was my first vehicle. I was 16 when I got it. And 17 years old, I remember, I think I was leaving school. I even remember the highway, the gas station I was passing and everything. Because I, I looked at God, and at this point in my life, I thought it would be more fun to dabble with the things of the world than the things of God. So I remember telling God in that 68 Chevy pickup, God, and I yelled it. I was the only one in the truck. I said, screw being saved. I just want to have fun. And that was it. You know, for the next year, God let me have what I thought was fun. You know, I wasn't any happier <laughs> in the next year. Because at 17, you know, you got your mind's all kinds of directions. You, you're young. You, 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 got the, you got the oomph to go. And then... You know, then you, you see all these people and you want to live like that. Well, here's what the world promises. The world will promise you fun, but it always ends in death. Whether it's a physical death or a spiritual death, you end dead somewhere. And I remember that to this day, I was in community college. I was 18, I believe. And it was in 2000 because I remember and it was probably January or February because I think it was wintertime. And I was in a philosophy and ethics class, and the teacher was an atheist. And uh, I, uh, I ended up taking a test. Now, I hadn't studied for the test, right? Well, that might have been part of the reason. But to this day, I don't know if I was just trying to be a smart aleck or if I was really trying to witness to her through this test. Because I remember sitting there, and she's wanting logical reasons. You know, the world's got logic, Right? What the world calls logic. Many times we walk in ignorance in what the world calls logic because we don't know that there's more to it than that. It's just, you know, we've talked about it. Remember out of Judges our first two weeks, there was no king in Israel, so everyone lived 
how they want, basically. They did what was right in their own eyes. That's the way this world will tell you is right. If it feels good, do it, right? And I'm sitting here and looking at this test. I gave all the godly answers, every one of them. And I remember getting the test back. The day I got the test back, they were passing them out. Now, remember, I have told God I don't want to be saved. I just want to have fun. I hadn't lost my salvation. I had conviction still. But with my mouth, I thought I was having what was called fun. And I sat in this class. I got that test back. And that day, and I've never been the same. That day, I remember God wasn't on my mind. Church was not on my mind. I had Christian friends in the class. I really didn't care, right? I was the type of Christian. See if this sounds like maybe some of you. I was the type of Christian that would stand for God if I had to. But you know what? Other than that, eh, I'm just going to live, right? Sound familiar? Maybe to some, maybe out there, out here. And I look at this test. Six out of 100. Whoa! I knew I was going to do bad. I didn't know I'd do that bad, right? As I'm looking at this test, though, I remember vividly I heard my name. And the only thing that's on my mind looking at that grade was, what am I going to tell my dad? Because my dad was helping pay for my school at the time. Now, back then, I had a half scholarship, so it was only 250 per semester. That was, that's not per credit hour. That was per semester. So I think the full price was like 500 because it was a half scholarship for music. And so I'm like, what am I going to tell my dad? Well, suddenly, I hear my name. I hear it clear as I can talk to you right now, and I hear Trenton. I actually looked around. I thought someone behind me might be talking. I'm looking around the room. No one's looking at me. They're all looking at their tests, probably proud of their grades, right? And I look back at my test, and I hear my name again. Only this time, I know who's talking. And I always go back to Samuel when I talk about my testimony. Because remember the story of Samuel when he was a little boy? Three times he heard his name called. The first two times, he went to the priest at that time. And he's like, yeah, what do you want? And that time, the priest was like, okay. Here's what's going on. The next time you hear that, I want you to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Something along those lines. And the third time, he did. And that's when God gave him what was to come, his calling, and everything. But that is why I go back. Now, I only heard my name twice. The second time, he said this. And I remember word for word. He said, Trenton, what are you doing here? I expect to see you in a Christian college next fall learning to be a preacher. What? Now, I didn't say what then, but I'm thinking, what? Are you talking to me? You know, this is, I'm the guy, I don't like getting in front of people. Believe it or not, I don't like getting in front of people. I don't like crowds. I, a matter of fact, my uncle, who's gone on to be with Jesus now, begged me. And I even reminded him of this story before he passed. And I'm like, you remember that? He begged me to sing in front of people. Now God's asking me to preach? Because, see, here was my plan. I didn't really have one. I went to community college because that's what my friends did. And in community college, <clears throat> I just decided, you know what, it would be pretty cool to be a DJ. So I majored in communications at community college. So I was in communications classes. Then I didn't know what kind of communications I'd be getting in, did I? But, uh, <clears throat> but then God called me out. <clears throat> what are you doing here? I expect to see you in a Christian college next fall learning to be a preacher. And I just started breaking down in tears. I knew who was talking. The same God I had told screw being saved a year ago. I knew who was talking to me. And I'm sure the people around me, if they saw my grade, probably thought I was crying about the test. <laughs> See, that's me lightening the mood there a little bit. But uh, 
I said, yes, sir, because what are you going to tell the big guy? When I say big guy, I'm talking about God. What are you going to tell the father? Some people don't like him illustrated as big guy. He is the big guy. He's the one in charge. And so at that point, I said, yes, sir, and went to an ex-girlfriend's now's house back, uh, back then, told her what had just happened to me, and I didn't go back to classes that day. And I immediately, I'm the type of guy, if God calls me to something, I'm not going to sit around and wait. I'm going to go do something, right? I'm not going to sit around. See, too many Christians want to sit around. They get a calling, but we need to be exercising and practicing what he's already given us. So what did I do? I started booking youth rallies. That's what I knew to do. I'm like, well, nobody knows who I am. They're not going to book me to preach, so I guess I'll book my own events. So I did, and I ended I was preparing a message. It was called Worldly Behavior at that time, and I was preparing a message, and here's what happened. Man, I'm going further than I meant to go, but... I remember sitting in a Sunday school class. Now, I'm already 18, so I'm not a youth anymore. I've gone into college, but I'm in, my mom's the youth minister, so she lets me sit in and teach sometimes for Sunday school, right? So I'm sitting there in my T-shirt and jeans and tennis shoes because I'm in youth class, right? So, you know, you're chill. You know, you don't have to dress up for youth, right? Right? Nobody, nobody remembers those days, huh? Some of us probably wasn't that way when you were kids, huh? But... I remember sitting there, and the pastor walked in the door, the pastor I was under at that time. And he opened the door, and all I seen him do was look at me and said, come here. I said, I'm thinking, what did I do? (laughs) So I'm getting up in my T-shirt and jeans, and I'm walking to the door, and I go outside. He's like, I need you to go preach. I'm like, what? So I let him finish. He's like, I promised a church in Vianna, Illinois. Some of you may know where that's at. It's about 45 minutes from where I was at at that time. And he said, I need you to go there and preach. The service starts at 11. I look at my watch. It's 1030. Did you at least tell him I'm going to be late? Because <laughs> this, and you talk about, see, this is how God does things. He gave me a 30 minute notice for my first message. And what did I do? Well, I went home first and changed into a suit and tie. Because I knew if you're going to a Baptist church, you better dress up if you're going to speak in the pulpit, right? So I walked in In my suit and tie, I probably got there 15, 20, who knows, minutes late. And I'm hoping he called and told him I was going to be late, at least, since he was the one that promised, right? I don't know if he did or not to this day. I'm sure he did. Walked in, told him who it was. So I didn't have anything, right? I didn't have notes. I hadn't been planning anything. I just knew that, okay, I'm going to go preach. And I went and gave my testimony. What else? I mean, and I compared it to the book of Jonah. I talked about Jonah because I ran from God. No different than other people out here that have ran from God for years. And I ran from God. And I talked about that and I compared it. And at that point, I'm booking rallies, but it seems like I'm in a different pulpit after that, shortly after that, every Sunday. Just about every week, I'm somewhere preaching. And I'm like, so I get my, my mom got me my first suit and tie. You know, I got all the, I'm looking all dressed up, right, when I show up. You know, you wouldn't know now, would you? But I wear my polos now, right? Every now and then you get me in a suit. But, uh. But here's, I said all that to say this, you got to be ready, because when God calls, it's time, and God spoke to me, and let me just tell you, there is no telling me there's no God. I've heard him speak. He spoke to me, best I could tell, an actual voice, and I broke down in tears. Men think they're tough. If you ever have an encounter with God, you're not going to think you're so tough. You're going to realize that it's the creator of the universe that you're talking to. And he doesn't have to choose you, but he does. 
I wasn't living exactly a good Christian life, maybe at church, but I was just doing whatever out in the world. I could cuss like a sailor. I was doing it while I was in church. I'm one of those guys. That's what I was. But that day, immediately after that call, it all changed. I surrendered to ministry in 2000. That's why it's easy to know I started ministry 22 years ago because it's now 2022. So in 22 years ago today, God called me to this, and I wasn't, and I did tell God, and it's funny because, you know, you try to tell God what you are and aren't going to do, just, just, he just laughs, right? Okay, so I told God, all right, God, I'll preach, but I will never be a pastor. I said, I can't put up with people. So I'm not, I can't be a pastor. I'll preach for you. I'll be an evangelist, God. That's fine with me. But guess what I'm doing today? See, so y'all caught that. that. See, last time I told that, you know, I just started pastoring. So it's like, huh. So uh, look at where I'm at today. And it's all funny when we try to tell God what we are and aren't going to do. And I'm going to try to get through this rather quickly tonight. But you need to know this. What's the point of all that? Why did you say all that? Because no matter what you've told God, and even if you've turned your back and walked away, if you've gone to the deepest depths of the highest mountains, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord God, is there. You can try to run all you... Jonah was in the belly of a fish. That's what the Bible tells us. I don't know if it was a well or a big fish. Big fish would be a miracle too, right? So I'm not the one that's going to debate that, but what I do know is it was in that belly that God worked on Jonah and got him on track back to Nineveh. John 4, we got to get to our text. John 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John... Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, that's an important note to make because the King James addresses that for a reason. When Jesus sent his disciples out to baptize, he didn't baptize. It was them. Verse 3, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go to Samaria. It's going to get good now. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, middle of the day. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Chosen portrays this well. I didn't have the chosen when I first wrote this, but it portrays this well. So um, what's going on here? Let me just give you, let me just give you point number one. I'm going to talk for a second. God gives us divine appointments. Jesus went out of his way to make sure he got to Samaria in the middle of the day. Now, let me give some of you else a clue that may not know this. Women didn't fetch water in the middle of the day to well. They went in the evening time. This woman was there to avoid the people because she had built quite the reputation. So she went to the well alone at noon every day. Jesus knew that. He shows up. Finally, here she comes. Now, I always see the chosen now when I see the story. She comes walking up the hill. He's already seated. He's ready to go. And what does he say to her? Give me a drink. Huh. Who would have thought that the way to reach people is to reach them where they're at. You want to start a conversation with somebody, talk about something that's neutral for a second. If you immediately come with the Jesus and the God thing, 
some people are going to just turn away and reject you flat. But if you can enter a conversation like Jesus did, he's sitting at a well. What better topic? Water. Give me a drink. Jesus or God gives us divine appointments. James 5, 19 and 20 says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Why did you read that? Divine appointments. God's going to send you places. I don't even got to be a prophet to say this. He's going to send you places to people if you're going to let him and you're going to walk with him, that need you. They need to hear from you what God has done for you. So Jesus shows up. He knows she's coming. Give me a drink. Great way to start a conversation, especially at a well, right? John 4, verse 9, it says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it? Now watch what she does here. I thought this was interesting. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. We'll talk about that here in just a second. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Wherefore then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as... His sons and his livestock. And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain, or fountain sorry, of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Point number two real quick as we get ready to talk. It starts with self-interest. We kind of talked about that a minute ago. What do you got in common with that person right now when you're approaching them? I want to read this passage out of the Living Bible because I like the way it's worded better than most of the translations I've read because it kind of drills right to the point. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, When I am with those whose consciences, this is Paul talking, bother them easily. In other words, they've got convictions. I don't act as though I know it all and don't say they are foolish. The result is that they are willing to let me help them. Yes, whatever a person is like, I try to find, what's he say? Common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. So who does the saving? It's not us. It's Christ. But what does Paul say here? Whatever a person's like, I try to find common ground. Ed's giving stories about just being in the checkout at Walmart, bringing up something. Where are you at on a daily basis? How can you bring into this conversation? So here we got Jesus talking about spiritual water, but this woman, now if you think about it, she's, I mean, this is new. This is all new then. So as a matter of fact, Jesus hadn't started his big ministry yet. He's not claimed to anybody, I'm the Messiah, to accept a few people, right? Let me have a drink, which starts a whole conversation. What is the deal with how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, for the Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans? Well, when the Jews were in slavery, give you a little history lesson, 
the Jews that remained and married other Jews were Jews. But the Jews that mingled amongst the people of the land were half-breeds is what they thought. And those are the Samaritans. Jews don't believe the Samaritans are good enough for God anymore because they're half-breeds, right? And I know that's the mean way to say it. I'm not saying it's right. But what I'm saying is that's the attitude. That's why the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans here. They're better than, right? And then she's saying, well, how do you guys get off thinking you're better than us? Jacob drilled this well himself. And then he brings in the whole living water bit. And she's, she's thinking, of course, that he's talking about natural water. Cause she's like, sir, let me get a drink of this water so that I won't thirst again. Let's keep reading there because there's something else I want to point out. And this is going to re- help you, especially relating to people as you're out there. Verse 16 says, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Now, he knew what he was doing at this point. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you're with now, or the one you have now, is not your husband. You've spoken truly of that, right? Let me just get to the point three. God speaks directly to the heart. He doesn't beat around the bush like some Christians do nowadays. Here's what was going on here. Well, actually, it hasn't happened yet. Let me... Keep wearing. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is a living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the word of God. It divides. What does it say? It pierces. It doesn't feel good all the time. That's because God's trying to get us cleaned up, right? He's trying to get us ready. But, so... God speaks directly to the heart. He doesn't beat around the bush. He gets to the heart of the situation, and he goes from there. Now, here's the part I want you to key in on, I believe. Yes. John 4, 19, it says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship that what you do not know. We know what we worship for the salvation for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Point number four, and I'll explain this. We must allow God to steer the conversation. What's she doing here? Let me get my drink because I've been holding this a minute. <clears throat> Jesus brings up a conviction. You're right. You don't have a husband. You got, you've had five, and the one you're with now, he's not your husband. He got straight to the point. He said, of that you've spoken truly. What did she do? The very next sentence, she tried to change the subject. Oh, man, I want to say it. I'm not going to praise the Lord. Sounds like a good liberal, don't it? Moving on. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. But what did she do? She changes the whole, she tries to steer the conversation. But see, many Christians fall for this 
all the time. You'll be talking to someone, the conviction of the Lord will come upon them. Well, they'll try to take you way out here in left field, or right field, whichever way I'm pointing. Out here in the field, they'll try to take you way out here, away from this, because this is where the conviction's at, right? So what's this woman? Well, I guess you're a prophet, but you know what? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews say that Jerusalem is the only why, why do you, basically, why do you hate us so much? What do we do wrong? Let's change the subject, God. Let's not talk about me. Let's talk about the situation that we as a people are in, right? Jesus steered the conversation right back to it. What did he do? He answered her question. Hey, the hour's coming. It won't even matter. And got right back on topic. That's the way a good Christian would steer a conversation that was going way out here. Because the people will try to take you way out. Have anybody ever talked to someone like that? I have. My hand's up. You're talking about something. They're convicted. So they go to like five different subjects all around what we're talking about. They don't want to talk directly to the point. So they're going to talk about this and this and this. And they're going to try to question you what they're doing. They're going to try to stir you up. Get you to question your motives. It's not working. If you're a Christian, you're there with a mission. Luke 12, 11 and 12 says, Now when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Well, why did you bring that up? Because when they try to steer the conversation, you let the Holy Spirit guide you right back. And most people that try to change the subject... They're searching for something, but they won't want to admit it. They're searching for answers, isn't everybody? Let's wrap this up. Verse 25 and 26, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. Check this out. Jesus makes his big announcement. When he comes, he will tell us all things. What Jesus say? For those of you that say Jesus never claimed, well, here it is. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he he knew who he was do you i'm not saying who you are and your likes and who are you in god because the world would love to take that from you and if you're not grounded in god guess what they're going to take you on a detour too as far as you'll let them go you ever been on a long detour it's like it takes forever to get back to the highway That can happen spiritually too. But here's the point number five, last point. When God is there, Yehovah Shammah, he reveals himself. When God called me, I may have been in a mess, but he revealed himself. And I knew who was talking. Let me close with Psalm 37, 23 to 26. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen, David talking, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Who are you in God? Do you know that he's Jehovah Shammah? 
the Lord God is there? Do you know? In your closet, are you living like you know God? Because even though you think you're by yourself when you're in the closet, he's there. The things that maybe you're getting away with, the church members, the pastors don't know that you're doing behind the scenes, God knows. You can't hide from God. He's there. Now, what's the good news of that? The good news is when you call out to him to be saved, he's there. See, he's not just there when you're doing the bad stuff. He's there when you're doing the good stuff. God is there. He is there with you. Has God called you to do something lately? Recently? Maybe speak to someone at work? Person you passed on the street. Maybe you passed up that opportunity and you got that conviction, the Holy Spirit. Hey, I want you to go talk to them. Well, I don't know. They look kind of rough. <laughs> so did you. Remember? I remember. <laughs> this is just a quick tale. I remember me and Brett went to a, for those of you who don't know, T-Bones, Christian hip-hop artist back in the day. And he did a concert in Poplar Bluff. And uh, we were in Illinois at the time. And we went to the concert, right? We, <laughs> we got all pumped. Matter of fact, he did. He convicted everyone that was there. I'll, I'll say that. That ain't the story I'm wanting to get at. But I remember he's like, where's all my Christians at in the house? And everybody's like, woo! Right? We're going nuts. He's like, no, shut up. He said, shame on you. He said, this place should have been packed with non-Christians that needed Jesus tonight. Oh, oh, dude, I'm just here to have fun, right? You never know what God's up to. If there had been more of non-Christians there that night, what could have happened? Well, non-Christians, they wouldn't want anything to do with that, right? You don't know that. They may put on a good show in front of people, but they may really be seeking now, here's the story, though. We left there. We were super pumped, right? This is just to help you out because you're not alone in this being scared to talk to people. Me and Brett was super pumped. We stopped at this gas station. Oh, man, we're going to tell people about Jesus. We, we walked back outside with our sodas or whatever we had at that point, and there was a group of bikers out there. <laughs> and we both heard it. You go tell them about Jesus. Oh, no. <laughs> what did we do? What any good Christian would do, got in the car and left, right? <laughs> so you're not alone getting scared, but here's what you need. And we were still baby Christians. Think about that now. I surrendered at 18. I was surrendered to ministry. So that's really when I got serious for God. We were probably, what, 18, 19? We were young. We were, we were still baby Christians, right? And <laughs> you get super pumped, and then conviction settles in, right? And we were driving home, and I remember us talking, and we were like, you know, we really should have witnessed to them people. Just ask if they needed had new Jesus. You know, we walked into the gas station, super pumped, came out, and we were scared to talk to some bikers because they looked a little rough, right? But let me just help you out. The Holy Spirit's with you. God's with you. If he's speaking for you to talk to someone, know that he's going to go with you to the conversation. And know if you will let him, the Holy Spirit will guide your words. I've been in so many situations where the Holy Spirit had to guide my words. I didn't know what to say. Trenton wouldn't have had any answers. Holy Spirit did. He knew what was going on. I didn't I need to wrap it up. I'm sorry. I probably went a little long tonight. But guys, I thank you so much for tuning with us online. If you've never received Jesus, that's where the journey starts. You just got to simply ask. You say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. 
I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose on the third day, becoming victorious over death that I might live. I ask you to come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sins. From here on out, I want to live my life for you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. You prayed that prayer, you meant it from the bottom of your heart. I'm here to say congratulations. Welcome to the family of God. Your next step is you need to find you a good church that's open, that's making disciples, and you need to get baptized, and you need to get involved in some Bible study. We call it growth track here, some discipleship training. We even have leadership training. All these things are things you need to work towards. Don't stop. It doesn't stop with a prayer. Salvation is not a prayer. It's a lifestyle. How you live after you pray the prayer determines whether you receive them or not. You can't say a prayer right now wherever you're tuning and tomorrow morning wake up and go back to living life. That's not how that works. There's a change there, and it's an evident change. Yeah, it's going to take some time. Some people it takes longer than others to get rid of past moments, things that you did in the past. But you know what? God's going to walk with you the whole way. And the Holy Spirit's going to guide you if you'll let him. So I want to say thank you for tuning. Check out nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. If you want more information on salvation, top of the page, there's a menu button. If you go all the way to the far right, there's a link that says the road to new life. If you click on that, it'll take you to a separate website I created in college that will walk you through that whole process. What you just did, it'll explain it to you. I encourage you to do that and get the word in you. If you don't have a Bible, hey, there's other ways you can contact us. Get on our website. Go to the contact page. We'll mail you one. Just let us know. We'll give you a free one. Help you get started. Or you can come join us in person if you're close enough. And you want to come join us? Come on. We'll give you one when you go walk in the door if you ask for it. We don't know you need it unless you ask, right? So if you need it, we got a whole box of Bibles in the back. So God bless you guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning with us tonight online. I'm praying this word was for whoever it was for that you got what you needed out of it. Whether it was here, there. Thank you so much. God bless you. I'll see you next week.